Hello, everyone. My guest today is Frida Poli. She's an award-winning neuroscientist at Harvard and MIT and the co-founder and CEO of Pymetrics, where she raised around $60 million. Pymetrics is a company pioneering the use of neuroscience and data science to accurately predict hiring outcomes and remove hiring biases through patented games and algorithms. So thanks for accepting the invitation, Frida. It's a tremendous pleasure to have you on the show today. Yes, Thomas. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you're joining in from New York right now. Um, and I've heard a lot about you, read a lot about you, but how did you get to where you are today? How did it all develop? So um, my background, as you accurately stated, is I spent 10 years in academia as a cognitive neuroscientist at Harvard and MIT. And I really enjoyed the science that I was doing, um, but I really found that the lack of real world application just left me kind of not as enthused. So I went to business school um, and that's where I saw recruiting firsthand. And I was really struck by the fact that it had not changed in over 10 years um, since I graduated from college. And I was just amazed because we had developed so many new ways of evaluating people and thinking about people in the lab. And also data science was really coming to the fore at that time. And the combination of those two techniques, it just seemed to me would provide such a better way of evaluating people's fit to jobs um, than, than the current format. And so that's how the idea for Pymetrics came to be. And, you know, back in 2013, when I, it was the uh, two women in an algorithm phase of the company, as I like to call it, we went and raised our first seed round and we've been off to the races ever since. That's interesting. So how, low, how old were you when you first started the company? So I was in my late 30s when I started Pymetrics, which you know, I think a lot of people think of entrepreneurship as something that you can only do when you're, you know, 25 and, you know, don't have kids and have no commitments. But interestingly, I, so I was not only in my late 30s, but I also had a child and I was a single parent. So it's definitely not the typical profile. Um, come to find out actually, and Eileen Lee has done a lot of good research on this, is that most of sort of the, especially in enterprise tech, um, most founders tend to be you know, not, not in their mid twenties, as you can imagine, when you're selling to large enterprise, you kind of need that. Um, I don't know that I think that professional network that will help you kind of, um, you know, and also just the experience of having built something that has to cross many stakeholders. Um, but it was still a very interesting experience, especially to launch the business as a single parent. Uh, that was, that was definitely interesting, but I'm not the first Therese Tucker who founded uh, Blackline um, was in that boat as well. So definitely not the first. You're the last, uh, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure as well. Um, so what were, what were some of you? So no, actually, it was the first company, right? Pymetrics? Absolutely. The first one. Okay, so what were your, some of your best resources when you, when you first launched a company? Yeah, I think, look, I think at the end of the day, I think building a company has a lot to do with a couple of things. First, you have to have an idea that resonates with people. If you don't have that, you're never going to get off the ground. Right. And there will definitely always be, you know, a hundred people that think it's a terrible idea for every one person or two people that think it's a great idea. But I think if you can get a small group of people really enthused about your, your idea, your product, I think, you know, you have something. So that's definitely one thing. And then in terms of just like physical resources, there were a couple of things. I mean, I think that the network that I had built over time, both as an academic as well as coming out of my MBA program was invaluable. I mean, I think that, you know, so I went to, I got my MBA at Harvard. They have, as do many sort of good MBA programs, like a very strong network of alumni that includes investors, um, you know, potential clients. And so that was a huge asset in building the company and sort of finding our initial investors, um, initial clients, um, data to train on uh, so that we had outcomes that we could predict. 
uh, it was definitely, so the professional networks were invaluable in, in building Pymetrics. Understood, very cool. And did you have any mentors that like have gone that way before you or? You no, I mean, interestingly enough, I don't think there are a lot of neuroscience companies, which is probably why I decided I had to found one because that's what I wanted to do with my life. And there wasn't anything <laughs> that I could go and like just work for. Um, but I do think that just in general, life scientists, uh, you know, that had, that had gone down that path before me were really good mentors. Like there was a, a venture capitalist, um, at a big Boston VC firm that was one of our seed investors. And he was just a really good mentor. And some of our early investors like Samir Khal at, uh, Coastal Ventures, I think was a good mentor as well. So just through, through the sort of life science network, I think found a whole bunch of folks that were helpful in different ways. Yeah, that, that's cool. So what do you think is your core skill that has helped you to navigate the company where it is today? Um, you know, it's, I ask myself that daily and I think there are a couple of core skills, um, biased action and just wanting to get things done and just being that type of person, I think is just, you can't emphasize enough how important that is. I think I'm also very detail oriented, so I can really get into the weeds with people, but then can also pull back out and see the big picture. But I think the combination of those two things is, is really important, especially if you're going to be biased to action, you need to know all of the details um, so you can really drive the right action. And then I think the last thing, it's not really a skill, it's more just who I am as a person. I think it's really important to be transparent. And even when things aren't going well, or maybe even especially when things aren't going well, I think it's really critical to just tell it as it is, even if you think someone's not going to want to hear it. Because quite frankly, they'd much rather hear the shitty stuff from you than they would from someone else. And so I think that that ability to just have really direct, transparent conversations, um, particularly in tough times is, is really important. Got it. Yeah. Okay, understood. Um, one thing that I usually dive into the beginning of the interview, but now we, we jumped over that is, what does the, the company Pymetrics exactly do and how do you make money? What's yeah. the business model? Sure. So we are an enterprise software company and we sell algorithms, assessment and algorithms um, that basically help companies and job seekers uh, get to their best match. So it can be used for hiring. So if a company is hiring um, they would ask people that were applying for roles at their company to go through Pymetrics, and then the software would automatically sort them into the best fit roles for them. It could be an internal mobility tool. So if you have a lot of employees that are moving around and you want to understand from a data-driven perspective where their best fit is, Pymetrics helps with that. Um, and it's now actually being used for redeployment and reskilling. As you can imagine, that's a huge need now that COVID has impacted the world of work as much as it has. But at its core, they are job matching algorithms that can tell a person what their right fit is and tell a company where to best slot people in. Understood. So how, how, if I'm... But how to make money is, is the employer pays us. So the company that's either hiring, doing internal mobility, doing reskilling is the, is the source of uh, revenue. We don't monetize the consumer side and we, don't, we, don't, we never have and we don't plan to. What does the average customer pay for that? Um, you know, it definitely in the, in the six figures, we obviously have some clients that are in the seven figures. Um, so I'd say sort of, you know, mid, mid six figures is a typical, typical deal size. Understood. Okay. Very cool. Uh, and what are, what are some of your, or what, what are some principles that you apply to, to Pymetrics to building a company? Um, I think that some of them we covered already, but I think that, you know, there are a couple of, a couple of main things, I guess. One is that um, it's, 
it's really about using data to manage and and make decisions, right? And I think that's a core theme across many different parts of industry. I think that in HR, human capital, um, the data that people have had access to has historically not been very good. And so we're trying to, or I shouldn't say good, it's, there's been challenges with it. It's been kind of sparse, maybe not as robust or rich as people would like. So that is one thing that we try to bring like new data, new ways of thinking about people. So Pemetrix evaluates people's cognitive, social, emotional aptitudes, as well as their communication skills. And that's the type of data that you don't normally have on a person. So we're really bringing new data to, to folks. And then the second sort of core principle, so again, managing through data, but I think the second core principle is really building technology in a way that takes into consideration um, ethical design. I think that's super important as we enter this new age where AI is undoubtedly going to be extremely important in the future. But I think the public, the general public has a lot of concerns around artificial intelligence and, and its use. And I think, you know, some of them are not as justified, but I think others are. And a lot of the concerns are really around, is this algorithm treating people fairly? Um, is it biased in some way? Um, does it have other ethical concerns that I should be aware of? And I think that that, while it's a hard thing to define, right? Because if you think about AI or algorithms, generally you're just optimizing, um, you know, for performance and that's it. You're not really taking other things into consideration. Um, but I think that when we start applying algorithms to human decision-making, there are a very big thorny problems that we kind of get into and we have to start taking other things into consideration um, in, in terms of what we're optimizing for. So again, I'd say sort of getting good data and then building algorithms that are ethically designed um, are two key key principles of, of upon which Pymetrics is founded. Understood. No, that's very cool. Very cool. Very cool principles. So you, you launched a company eight years ago. I'm interested in how, where do you think that industry will go in the next five years, in the next 30 years? Yeah. So, I mean, I'd say that we launched the company. So the, the initial funding was raised seven years ago. I think the product wasn't in market um, until 2016. So I think one thing to note is that, you know, we are a deep tech company. It's, it's not a common thing to have a deep tech company in HR. I think most people think of HR as maybe not that, but we are. Um, so just in the four, and to answer your question, I think even in the four years that we've been around, we've seen from, or that the product has been in market. I think we've seen a lot of change. Um, so to try to predict where it's going to be 10 to 20 years, it's hard, but I would say that we are seeing a huge push now because of COVID, quite frankly, um, towards digital tools. And so it's this interesting dynamic where, yes, industries are changing rapidly because of COVID. Um, and, you know, certain companies that were hiring before are no longer. Others that weren't hiring are really picking up. But I think overall, the trends that we see are an, an increased reliance on digital tools and artificial intelligence being, you know, one of those tools um, and also an increased need for data. So I definitely think that in 10, 20 years, the need for this type of information and the reliance on these types of tools is going to be a lot greater. How quickly we get there, I think, is still is still hard to predict. Is this a you know, three-year, five-year, 10-year journey? Yeah. still somewhat unclear. But I would say that it's changed tremendously in the last four years. And I think, honestly, Thomas, I think one of the biggest challenges that we face is, and I'm sure this has been faced in other fields, but I think one of the biggest challenges is educating the industry, the human capital industry on 
on, on AI, right? And I think that, you know, some folks just, you know, think all applications of AI are good. Other folks think, oh gosh, you know, that stuff, I've heard bad things. Yeah. And so it's really hard to kind of settle on something that, um, and, and it's not just human capital. I mean, I think it's just the public at large has heard only the horror stories or only the amazing stories. And they don't fully realize that AI is really somewhere in the middle and you have to, and, and yeah, I think you have to educate yourself. So again, I think it's part of an educate, a broad education of society as to kind of what AI is and isn't. I have this joke that I tell, which is like AI is like teenage sex. Like everyone says they're doing it, but nobody really knows what it is. Right. <laughs> and I think that's so true. Like, I think, you know, we're still in a, in a phase where society in general is, is, uh, is getting educated um, as, you know, as normal. Um, and so that I think will ha- will play a big role in terms of where, where this ends up. And the other thing I would say that's really fascinating is that different parts of the world have different levels of comfort with artificial intelligence. If you look at China, right? I mean, a lot of the sort of, you know, ethical concerns that I've raised on this podcast, I think are more in line with sort of Western countries, um, sort of, you know, philosophy, I guess, for lack of a better word, meaning sort of, you know, Europe, um, the United States, I think in China, for better or worse, I think there, there's less of a concern around that if you think about sort of the Chinese government and its approach to uh, collecting data and its usage. So that I think is another interesting and, and somewhat unknown um, in terms of how that plays out, you know, in the future. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Totally agree on that. Um, okay, last question before we wrap up here with the Fantastic Four is which role does personal branding or your personal brand play for you as a founder? I, I think it's a very interesting question. I think it has played a much, much larger role than I would have anticipated. So I say that because, you know, I was an academic scientist and as a scientist, like personal branding is not something anyone ever talks about. It's not a thing in science. Yeah. Um, and if anything, I would say it's discouraged. It's sort of like, oh, if you're going off and doing marketing, you're somehow, you know, shady, right? Um, but I've realized that in the world of business, it's just different. People evaluate uh, you in different ways. And I think that it is what I would say personal. I think that what I think of as personal branding, it's really explaining why you are the best person to solve this particular problem. And I think that as an entrepreneur, that is just such a critical point that you cannot overemphasize enough is it why is it you Frida Polly that's the best person to think about this problem and build a solution to this problem and so I think being a scientist coming from that background having very very strong scientific chops so to speak um, and also coming honestly Thomas from a, a group of people that you know tip traditionally is not uh, considered you know again the 25 year old you know sort of um, engineer who's going to start a company. I think both of those have actually been really critical in branding this company because I think on the one hand, you know, people believe that I have the scientific ability to, to, to found and lead this company. But on the other hand, I think it's been really helpful in terms of thinking, designing the product in a way that sort of thinks about some of the challenges that could otherwise have arisen. And I think that's also a critical component in the, in the branding of the company is, is allowing people to feel potentially more comfortable that, you know, as, as a non-typical founder um, as, and as a woman in tech, quite frankly, as a, and as a female CEO in, you know, venture-backed startups where we're still under 5%, um, just having that sort of outsider perspective, I think has really helped gain, gain trust um, in the market in a way that I think is, is also pretty critical. So understood cool thank you so much for your perspective on that um okay for let's 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 wrap up here uh with the fantastic four question number one is there a ceo that you're following or studying right now 
There's not a CEO or not really. I will say that I think Elon Musk for all his, you know, antics, I think has been to some extent, I think, you know, somebody that I admire a lot. Um, Steve Jobs, obviously everyone always says that, but I think, you know, Elon has really done a tremendous amount for, you know, sort of electric vehicles. Right. And I think he's had to face so many challenges when it comes to people believing in the product, believing the technology works, you know, against very powerful industry forces. I mean, you know, the combustion engine is, is no, is no joke. Um, so again, not from a personal perspective necessarily, but I think just from a believing in yourself and really developing uh, you know, a hard technology that is really up against a lot of challenges. I, I draw a lot of, um, you know, a lot of inspiration from some of the things that he's been able to accomplish. Awesome. Very cool. Uh, next question. Do you have any routines that you strictly follow on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> um, I have three kids, so that provides a lot of structure and routine to anyone's <laughs> kids. I don't know that it's a routine, so to speak, but I actually think having that ability to connect, spend time with my kids, um, uh, is really important because it just allows you to put a lot of other things in perspective. Um, I think the only other routine I would say is that I'm a huge fan of um, just exercising and sort of getting your blood flowing because I think that just really clears your head in a way that few things do. Definitely, definitely. Uh, okay, next question. What's your favorite social media platform for business and what do you specifically use it for? <laughs> do uh, Does my podcast app uh, count? Uh, you know, I don't know. I... I I'm not a huge social media person. I know that it's important and we obviously have a presence and everything else. Um, I think that, you know, of late, it, it, there's a lot of noise out there. But, um, you know, I'd probably have to go with something pretty, pretty tried and true like LinkedIn, honestly. So nothing. nothing okay. And my podcast oh. app, by the way. That's not a social media platform. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> at the beginning of this podcast, how I really get so much information from so many great podcasts that are out there. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, last question for you. What do you wish you knew when you were 20 years old? Oh my gosh. I think it's what, what most 20-year-olds wish they knew, right? I mean, I think you just have to have a... I wish I had a lot of the self-confidence that I do now. Um, and I also wish that I had far less anxiety about small stuff. And I'm sure that in 10 years, I'll be saying that again. And in 20 years, even more. I think that the benefit of growing older, there are a lot of downsides. I think the benefit is you just, you know, you don't sweat the small stuff. You become a lot more confident in your abilities and your ability to manage through difficult times. Um, and, you know, I think most people wish they knew that earlier on, but you just don't. That's part of the beauty of experience. So, Yes, no, totally agree on that. Thank you so much for your insights, Frida. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Thomas.